When considering the words that fathers speak to their children, it's impossible to underestimate their importance. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that the tongue has the power of life and death. And as a parent, I can use my words to drain the life right out of my kids, or I can help them by finding the way of life. When I was in my 20s, my uh, biological father came to visit me, and it had been 10 years since I had seen him. And I was curious as to see whether what, you know, what my feelings would be uh, during that visit, because I had long before this stopped worrying about what kind of influence uh, he was going to have on my life, whether good or bad, or so I thought. We were in a public place for our visit, and uh, we sat there talking, and as we talked, this guy walked by who was dressed in kind of like motorcycle gear and had long hair, he was about my age, and my father looked at him and said to me, now that's my kind of guy. That statement hit me like a punch below the belt in a dirty boxing fight, and looking at me, I was obviously not the kind of man or son that he wanted or was hoping for. And I was not very much like my father, and why would I be? He had spent about a total of three days uh, interacting in my life since he left my mom and the family when I was four years old. But for days and weeks after that, I could not shake the feeling that my dad once again had done some serious damage to my self-image. This kind of damage is being done every day to kids at the hands of their fathers around the world. In frustration and anger, fathers may say things like, you will never amount to anything. Or because of favoritism, they may look at a, a particular child and against another one and say, why can't you be like your brother? Or worse yet, they may wish secretly that uh, a child who died was the other child, their not favorite child and wishing they could have their uh, favorite child back. And many times we don't even realize the damage that we are doing. Israel here may have had the perception that their heavenly father was the kind of dad that I've been talking about for a moment here. Perhaps they wondered if he was the kind of dad who really wished that they were dead. Or maybe he was the kind of dad who didn't uh, think that they would amount to anything. Perhaps they even felt abandoned because of the 400 years that they had spent in slavery. Where was God during our suffering? Where was God when we were going through all of that? But at a certain point in their journey toward the promised land, God wanted to let Israel know exactly what his heart was toward them. Turn with me, if, uh, if you will, in your Bibles to uh, Numbers, chapter 6. We're going to be starting with verse 22 here and looking through 27. Uh, there are a few Bibles, or the uh, Scripture is actually written right out in your bulletin as well as we work through this. Now, in every Bible that I looked at uh, in regard to this passage of Scripture, the subtitle, Aaron's Blessing, was on all of those Bibles. In fact, I entitled my sermon, Aaron's Blessing. But notice in the first two verses here of our passage, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, you shall say to them. And so first we see here, this is not Aaron's blessing. 
This is not even Moses' blessing. This is the Lord's blessing. It's not just a neat benediction that you say at the end of a worship service. God commanded that these words be spoken over his children. And I would submit to you sitting here today that these words were not just a message for God's people way back then. These words are a message for you, his chosen people, his children here this morning. These words are his very heart toward you today. And there are five things that our Heavenly Father wants to tell you. And no matter what your earthly dad has told you, you will be encouraged this morning as you leave hearing what the heart of your Heavenly Father is, how he thinks about you, and how he wants to bless you. And so the first thing that Aaron and his sons were to say to the people were, the Lord bless you. The word bless originally meant to come before someone on bended knee with a gift. When we bless God or others, we come, as it were, on bended knee to offer the best of what we have, to offer a gift to them. And our great king deserves our blessing. But to think of God blessing us, to think of him bringing a gift on bended knee is much more difficult until we recognize that Jesus came as a humble servant. He was on bended knee washing the feet of the disciples. He fed the hungry, he bent low to heal the sick, and he died for those that he cherished. What greater blessing can we have? What better gift could the Father have given us? I think one of the most difficult parts of the Christian life is perceiving God's thoughts about us at any given time. We're going through something. Maybe we've sinned. Maybe relationships are strained. And we wonder, how is God thinking about us? How is he looking upon us right now? What would he say to me if I were standing before him in this moment? Consider, for instance, the book of Job. I'm sure that while Job was going through all the trials that he had, he probably didn't feel very blessed. However, sometimes what we consider a blessing may not necessarily be a blessing from God. Because most of us have a basic human need. Things at a certain level that we want. We all want similar things. We want to be provided for and to be able to provide for our families. We want to be healthy and unencumbered by physical limitations. We want freedom to worship and express our ideas without fear of punishment. We want find to someone to, uh, to love us. We want uh, to find somebody to love in return. If we have children, we want them to have a good education and perhaps a decent career. We want them to find love and happiness. And most of us want to enjoy some recreation. And when it's all said and done, we want to die a peaceful, pain-free death, knowing that we did the right things and that we left a legacy and maybe even some money to our kids and our grandkids. So if you have all these things in place and everything is going well, you must be blessed, right? Well, if that's the case, then the majority of the saints in the Bible were obviously not blessed people. King David had major problems with his children. 
Most of the disciples died early deaths by martyrdom. Paul the Apostle's body was beat up, having been stoned, whipped, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, afflicted with a thorn in his flesh, which, by the way, God gave him, a messenger from Satan. And so, obviously, the best gift that God has for you may not be a wonderful, pleasant life. It may be a physical ailment that's teaching you about trust. It may be a child with colic who's teaching you about patience. It may mean getting fired from a job because you stood up for what you believe in. Notice in James 1, verse 2 through 3, it says, In all these trials, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And that's a true blessing. The Lord goes on to tell Moses here to tell the Aaron and his sons that they're to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. Now, in light of what we just mentioned here regarding God's idea of blessing us being different than our own desires, the next part is going to seem even more confusing. God wants Aaron to bless Israel by speaking God's protection over them. This is the meaning of keep you, keep you from harm, keep you safe, keep you shielded from attack. And for Israel, this was seen in a very practical way because as they came into the promised land, there were many nations around them that they needed protection from. And so they needed God to keep them. But I can guarantee you that there was a mother in Israel that had lost a son during one of those battles, even though Israel had the victory. And at that time, she's probably wondering, why didn't the Lord keep my son safe? Why am I having to go through this? And I'm sure she was thankful for the fact that the opposing nation that they had come against uh, in regard to a battle was not dragging them off into captivity. But what about her son? As modern-day followers of God, we may have some of the same questions. A while back, I was talking to an older Christian woman, and she was telling me about the few times in her life where she felt the Lord specifically spoke to her, sometimes audibly. One of those times was she was heading out uh, to go into town, and she was going to get in the car, and she was sitting in the car, and she uh, heard the Lord say to her, Tighten your seatbelt tighter. She's like, uh, okay. So she tightened her seatbelt tighter. And so as she's going down the road, she gets into this accident that flips the car. And all she, you know, got from that accident were a few bumps and bruises. And as I thought about that story, story later on that she told, I wondered to myself, why didn't God just tell her not to go out? <laughs> Why didn't God say, uh, go this different way? Why did he just have her tighten her belt so that she would not get so seriously injured in that accident? And I think that the answer to that is that God does not want us to sit at home and avoid all danger. He wants us to know that he is with us <laughs> no matter what we're going through. Even if it's an accident, even if, by the way, you do get badly injured or something bad does happen to you. 
Ultimately, the Lord is keeping us safe, but not necessarily from the thing that we want to be kept safe from. What he's really keeping us safe from is the devil's schemes. The devil wants to take you out. And that's the main thing that he's keeping you from. And sometimes those circumstances actually help keep you safe from the devil. A friend of mine uh, who was in seminary with me uh, was going to the Bible college. And as he got ready to go, he was a very good basketball player in high school. And he was thinking to himself, I'm going to show up at the Bible college and I'm going to just be a star. I'm going to be the star of this team. We're going to just go off to some national championship under my leadership. But the week before he went to the Bible college, he was out playing soccer in the field with some friends, and he broke his leg very badly, fractured it in many places, had to have surgery. And that kept him from the basketball season that whole year. But as he looked back on that, he thanked God for that injury. Because he knew he was prideful. He knew that he was going in not to think about the word of God, not to think about the mission that God had for him, but rather how much praise he could get, what kind of glory he would have at the Bible college. And so even in that moment, what seemed like a tragedy, the Lord was keeping him. The Lord goes on to tell Moses to tell Aaron, to say, the Lord make his face shine upon you. I think one of the funniest things that I like to see in regard to little children, and I'm talking about like three and four month olds, is the way that adults interact with those children in order to try to get some kind of response from them. I mean, you'll see somebody who's a very serious businessman and, you know, dealing with lots of uh, decisions out there in the world, and they're going, <laughs> you know, making these kind of faces and stuff, trying to get them to have some kind of response. Their face is shining upon this little one. But notice how that change of face happens over the course of that child growing up a little bit. That toddler isn't quite so cute, and the mother's face isn't quite shining when there's peas smeared all over the place, and they're all over the floor and everything else like that. And then watch that mother's face if it's their teenage son who's eating like a barbarian. By the way, that's not a shining face. It's a glowering face, right? And so... The blessing that Aaron and the priests were to bestow upon the people included this prayer, that God's face would shine upon you. Imagine that, God looking at you like a grandpa who's trying to elicit some response from the child. Kind of hard to imagine sometimes, isn't it? Because that's a far cry from the stern and distant figure that many of us have in our minds when we think about standing before the living God not smiling. And so I want you to think less of God in regard to a courtroom judge and more like this father who's at the end of the airport ramp waiting to welcome his child home after a long-fought war. That's the father's face toward you when you return home. He goes on to say that they're to tell the people, the Lord be gracious to you. When I hear that word gracious, many times I like to think of a hostess at a dinner party. But here the main focus isn't that, it's actually the mercy of God. 
The Lord commanding the priests to proclaim grace and mercy over the people. And even though they may have deserved God's punishment and wrath, he was long-suffering with them. God does not give you and I the punishment that our sins deserve. He sent his son to die so that he could have the ability to extend that mercy based on his own declaration here. And because of my past sins, which are many and grave, I know that I do not deserve heaven. I don't deserve the grace of God. I don't deserve the favor of God. It's easy for me. But sometimes it's harder for people that were raised up in the church and that are essentially good people. They do the right thing. They go out and they pay their taxes and do their job. They don't see themselves as much having this need. They don't see themselves like the criminals or the main major sinners. It's harder for them to recognize that they need that graciousness. But Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart is desperately wicked, so much so that we cannot even fathom our own sinfulness. Sometimes we don't even know how bad we are, right? Even our good deeds are seen as dirty rags before the holy God. And so the graciousness of the Lord is one of the greatest blessings that we can know. And finally here, he tells uh, Aaron and the uh, sons there that the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Anyone who's been married for a while can walk into a room where their spouse is sitting and know the moment that they see their face if they're in trouble or not. (laughs) You know when you walk in that you've done something wrong by that face looking upon you. You can know if it's going to be a peaceful evening or not. My kids know when they walk into the room and dad's countenance is not shining brightly, they may be the ones who are causing that face to fall, right? When the priests proclaim God's countenance being lifted up, it's a sign of his good pleasure. And we don't have to worry about what the countenance of the Lord is on us. We don't have to worry, even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of our sins, because we know his countenance is shining upon us at all times. And the reason that we know that is because when he looks at us, he does not see us. We are clothed and covered in Christ. As a believer, as a Christian, you are in Christ. And so when the Father looks upon you, he sees his son Jesus. And we can never imagine the Father's face being anything but loving and bright and shining upon his Son who sacrificed himself for us. Righteous. Completely obedient. And so that's how he sees you today. Notice here how the names of the Lord are mentioned three different times. And it brings to mind the blessing that Paul blesses the Corinthian church with. And that church, being a Gentile church, may not have been familiar with this blessing in Numbers. They may not have been familiar with the Aaronic blessing. And so he blesses them in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
That word of, the grace of the Father, the love of the Father, that could mean a couple of different things. It could be the love or the grace or the fellowship belonging to, like, you know, it's mine. Or it could be the grace and the love and the fellowship that is extending from to us. And I believe that it's that second one. Paul here is saying that he wants us to experience these things personally. Not know that God is love. Not just know that the grace of the Lord is there. Not just know that the fellowship is there. But that we actually experience those things for ourselves. Because Christianity is an experiential religion. It's not just a head knowledge. Paul here wants them to know it. He wants them to feel it. He wants them to believe it for themselves. That God is with them. That he's for them. That the Holy Spirit wants to fellowship with them. And that's the amazing thing. Because it's about a relationship. It's not an assent to a knowledge thing, although that's a part of it. It's about a relationship. Imagine believing in somebody without even having a relationship with them. Or believing that, believing that they exist in your mind. And sometimes we have that, don't we? When we don't really know somebody. But we can get to know the living God through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through the fellowship that we have with the image bearers that are standing in front of us, his body. And so we can have all of those things. And I want you to spend this week soaking that in. Soaking in the knowledge of how he sees you, what he believes about you, the blessing that he wants to give you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this passage that shows us your uh, countenance is shining upon us, that you want to keep us and bless us and be with us and for us to be with you. And Lord, help us to bless one another as well, knowing that we've been blessed, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.